When we as elders were seeking God about the vision for this year, we were really challenged by a word that was brought to us by Stuart's sister Kirsten about us, um, about God wanting to take us to the next level. And so we would have to get into training, which got me thinking, how do we train ourselves? How do we get ourselves ready for the next level? How do I train my heart to become more like Jesus, my hands to be his hands, my feet to be his feet, and to follow after him. In other words, how do we become more like Jesus? Now, Christian writers down throughout the centuries, indeed the New Testament authors themselves, wrestled with this, and the term that's often used for this is spiritual formation. But what is formation? Well, Slide, please, Maggie. Spiritual formation isn't a Christian thing. It's important to note that. It is a human thing. We are all becoming someone. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, conscious or unconscious, deliberate or haphazard, we are all in the process of becoming a person. The only real choice we have is what kind of person we are becoming. In other words, you're like this pot. Now, this is not how I imagined this pot to look like when I thought about it in my head. My um, pottery skills obviously need a wee bit of, uh, of work. Um, but actually, yeah, it's not quite as I imagined it would be, which is probably a good illustration for us as people. We're not quite what we should be, a little bit wobbly in places, um, a bit dented. Formed from the dust, each of us are like clay, continually being formed through our childhood, through adolescence, through our adulthood, into someone. The question is, are we going to allow the world to form us into its own image? Or is there an invitation from Jesus today that we can say yes to that will help to form us differently? Before we get uh, on to how Jesus forms us, we're going to have a look at how the world is forming us first. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, which I think is expressed brilliantly through the message translation. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. John Mark Comer, writer of Live No Lies, who's one of the leading writers and thinkers on spiritual formation currently, he makes the point that we allow the world to unintentionally form us in three ways. By the stories that we believe, by the habits that we live into, and by the relationships that we cultivate. So firstly, by the stories we believe. There is something about the human condition that reacts and connects powerfully to story. They're the primary way we make sense of the world. They're the driving force behind our communication. Jesus taught, if you think about it, primarily through story. Think of his most powerful teachings. And I can almost guarantee you it's taught through stories. Well, what does salvation look like? It's the story of a lost son. It's the story of a lost sheep. What does the kingdom of God look like? Oh, well, that's a story of a mustard seed. The story of a treasure in the field. It's a story of a pearl of great price. It's the story of a wise man. 
building his house upon the rock. And it's not just Jesus. We are all tellers of stories. Think about your conversations. What do you do? You tell people what happened, the story of what happened to you. Because they sink. Stories sink into our brains and into our hearts and into our guts. And the world also tells us stories about who we are and about the world around us. But instead of stories that lead to wholeness and healing, like Jesus they lead instead to distraction or destruction. Stories that tell us it's okay to do whatever we like as long as it feels good. You do you. Stories that tell, say that in order to have value, we need um, money, status, new car, new house, this relationship, this experience, this promotion. Stories that tell us that actually being happy Whatever happy means is everything. And I've got to admit to you today that I have been listening to these stories lately. I found myself last week having a wee bit of a body image crisis, shall we say, which is not me. Um, Because if I'm honest, I am not as thin as I once was. I know. Um, And it has been getting me down recently, like really quite down recently. And I think it's Instagram's fault. And the story Instagram tells me. Because I noticed on my feed um, was just ad after ad after ad for 28-day wall Pilates challenge and fit coat challenge and and lazy girl yoga and you can do this. And if if I do this for 28 days, then my thighs will go zoop and my bottom will go zoop and my tummy will go zoop and, and my hips will go zoop. And I was like, yes, because... Well, yes, it needs to happen. And I have to admit, last week I caught myself in the mirror and I was just like, ugh. And I've not felt like that about my body for a long time. But it's because I had let the stories that the world was trying to tell me shape my thinking about myself. But it's not just the stories that we are told and that we choose to believe. The world also forms us by the habits that we form. The truth is, the things that we do, do something to us. Our habits shape our loves and our longings. John Mark Comer, when he teaches on this, he tells the story of how he fell in love with coffee. He, is a, he talks about coffee a lot. Um, and he never used to like coffee, but he started working in a coffee shop when he was a student. And uh, he had to taste the coffee, and he really didn't like it, so it was like he made the most chocolatey mocha he could. That was his coffee. And then as he worked over months and kept tasting the coffee, he formed a kind of habit, and the amount of chocolate in the coffee went down, the amount of sugar in the coffee went down, until now he's like double espresso, kind of like coffee snob, pour over pot, everything to do it. His habits formed him from a non-coffee drinker into a coffee snob. He has a lot um, of similarities with my husband sometimes. Um, And I actually have a physical example of this on my hand. Here are my thumbs. You probably might not see this. This thumb, pretty straight like most people's thumb, and this is the bit that weirds my family out. This thumb, nearly 90 degrees bend. The only reason I can explain for this is this thumb used to hold my clarinet. And, And after... Hours and weeks and months and years of practice, it has been bent into this shape. What we do does something to us, physically in this case, but more often in our hearts and in our minds. 
Right. Double-sided paper does not work. I do apologize. It's not just the stories we believe. It's not just the habits that we form, but we're also formed by our relationships. The truth is we become like the people we hang out with. Another confession to make. I'm dangerous when I go to Scotland. This is true. In fact, it's not just Scotland. It is a lot of places, and here's why. I have this awful tendency, and I'm not even aware I'm doing it a lot of the time, but when I go to a place with a different accent, I start speaking in that accent. And it, yeah, you laugh. It's not fun because it's, I'm really bad at accents. And so instead of sounding like this beautiful compliment to the culture that I'm in, it just often sounds really sarcastic, quite poor and very rude. It's not good at all. It's so bad. Um, that's a silly example of how we are swayed by the relationship, by the people we have around us. But I have to admit that also I... Um, I got really pulled up uh, by Jesus a couple of weeks ago because I found that um, we were having a, a tricky time at work with a, a, a couple of people, and I found myself getting sucked into the moaning and the negativity um, of those around me. And, and, and I, just, I was at lunch one day, and I just, just felt the Spirit say, you know, this is not right, Emma. This is, this is not salt and light. Um, but it's so easy to happen. Um, the fact is that we are social creatures, and culture works by t getting us or us acting in the same way as those around us. And all of this, the stories we believe, the habits that we form, the relationships that we're in, all of this happens in an environment that also wants to shape us and form us into its own image. You don't believe me? That's fine. But researchers have looked at the walking speed and the talking speed of those who live in cities as opposed to those who live who don't. And they found that the bigger the city you live in, the faster you walk. In fact, in London, they found that people walk faster and talk faster than anywhere else in the UK. And I don't think that's just because people who are born in London are faster walkers. It's because the environment, the physical environment, being in a city changes you. It moulds you. It forms you. And you're probably sat there right now thinking, this is all great, Emma, thanks. But why on earth are you telling me this? And the reason is this. If we are to have a heart like Jesus, if we are to be his body, if we are, as the quote from St. Teresa of Avila that we looked at in the vision, if we are to be his hands on earth and his feet and his heart, then we need to find ways to counter all of this because this is powerful stuff. And the world is constantly trying to form us into its own image and we need to find ways to counter it, to counterform ourselves. And this is where Christian spiritual formation comes into play because, hallelujah, Jesus has put into place ways to counter all of these things. And the invitation this morning is for you and for me and for us as church here to be transformed from something that is broken and marred and distorted, kind of like my pot, bless it, into something that is beautiful and useful and attractive and glorifying to Jesus. So this is where it gets really exciting.
Robert Mulholland, in his excellent book, Invitation to a Journey, which I've showed you, defines Christian spiritual formation as this. The process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. I'll say that again, because it's really, really good. It is the process of being formed into the image of God for the sake of others. Dallas Willard defines it as the process of being increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. What a beautiful way to describe our relationship with him. That word yoke there that um, Dallas uses refers to a first century idiom, like a turn of phrase. It's actually used by Jesus when he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke was the word used to describe the set of teachings given by a rabbi to his students. So, how does Christian spiritual formation help us fight against the world and all it's trying to do to us? Well, firstly, to counter the stories that we believe is the teaching that we receive from Scripture. Paul writes to the Romans... Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is Romans 12, verse 2. So we intentionally counter those stories that we tend to believe from the world by intentionally receiving, meditating, engaging regularly with Scripture. We need to replace and keep on replacing, it's a process, the lies the world feeds us with the truth of God's word and his vision for what life is. So when I'm tempted to believe the story that the world wants to say about me, I can counter it with the truth of who I am in Christ. And when the world tries to tell me how to live the good life, then I can counter it with the true vision of what the good life is. That it's not actually about me and my love and my status and my wealth and my image. It's not really about me at all. The good life is when I step out of all of that independence and selfishness and into this far greater, more beautiful narrative of a God who is restoring everything unto himself. It's why as uh, elders this year, we're passionate about investing in our knowledge of Scripture and of who God is. That's why Theology on Tap that starts in a few weeks, is going to be so good, guys. You need to sign up Um, because we're going to be digging into this feast of all that um, God has for us in his word as we get to know him better. And if we want to have a heart like Jesus, it's going to be a heart that knows the Father, that wants to know him more and more, to have that intimate knowledge of him. And we get that through God's word and the teaching we receive through it. So we counter the stories that we believe with teaching that we receive from scripture. Next, we counter the habits that we form with practices that we cultivate. Controversial statement coming up. Here's the thing. Knowing Jesus' teaching is not enough. 
While scripture is absolutely essential, don't get me wrong, it is not enough to produce the transformation that we into Christ-likeness that we need. I don't want to deny or diminish the power of Scripture in any way, but Scripture alone will not change us. I'll use this analogy. I could know everything there is to know about getting healthy. I could read every low-fat cookbook produced in the world. I could watch every YouTube Keep Fit video. I could have every fitness app on my phone, and I've got several, to be fair. But... I'm never going to run 5K unless I get off my couch and actually start doing something. Do you see the analogy? I could know every word of scripture, but until I actually put it into practice, it is not going to change me. Information transfer does not produce transformation. So we actually have to do something. We actually have to start cultivating spiritual practices, actions which counter those habits. Um, Matthew Skirton talked about it last week, didn't he? He talked about the impact it was having on him scrolling through news feeds or scrolling through Instagram just before he went to bed and how he was changing. He knew that habit needed to change, but until he actually did it, until he actually was turning off the TV and replacing it with God's word and filling his mind with that before bedtime, did the change happen? So, these practices are usually called the spiritual disciplines, but I actually prefer the word practice because that word implies that they're active, which they are. So what are these practices that counter these habits that we can form or the world forms in us? Well, you probably know lots of them. Reading scripture, prayer, fasting, meditating on his word, silence and solitude, generosity, hospitality, Sabbath. There's a a long list and there are books that tell you all about them. Um, And if you want to know some books to read, I can give you some recommendations after the service. But the key to practice is practice. Nothing happens overnight. You do need to commit to do them regularly. No transformation happens without effort. As you know, some of you uh, might know this, I play the cello. And I love playing my cello. Oh, it's just its wonderful. I just love it so much. Um, and like most musicians, I do have some bucket pieces of, of, uh, pieces of music that I would love to play. Um, and, um, I mean, I, I ache to play them. And there is one piece, above all, um, that I... Uh, I would love to play, and it is this. It is uh, Bach. It is uh, the prelude to suite number one in G major. Um, if you're a fan of the West Wing, Yo-Yo Ma plays it on there. I mean, oh, I would love to play this. Absolutely love to play this. But um, I've tried playing it, and the truth is, I'm profoundly bad. It, I mean, like, really bad. I mean, so bad. When I attempt to play this music, two things happen in my house. I get one of two reactions. Either everyone flees the room, and I mean, honestly, they just evacuate, <laughs> run as far as they were as they can, or they moan so much that I do it for about two minutes and then give up. It's really bad. Um, but here's the thing. My playing will only improve. And I'll only experience transformation in my cello playing, which I do long for, if I practice. If I put in the time, put in the effort, make the commitment to change 
form a new habit of regularly getting my cello out to play. That is the bit that's really hard, is the regularly. And slowly, too slowly sometimes, over time, my playing will improve to the point where I could actually play that without sounding like I'm strangling an elephant. The same is true in our inner life. If we want a heart like Jesus, which we do, yeah? If we want to become more like him, to be his heart, his hands, his feet, into a world that we can all agree is in desperate need of Jesus right now, then we need to go into training. We need to practice. Paul, throughout his writings, um, uses the picture consistently of an athlete to describe what it is to follow Jesus, such as here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that um, will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. So we counter the stories we believe with the teaching we receive. We counter the habits that form us by practices we cultivate. And we then counter relationships that form us by placing ourselves within community. You see, community for Jesus followers, I'm sorry, it's mandatory. There is no solitary Christian life in the New Testament. All of God's work to conform us to the image of Christ has at its sole purpose that we might become what God created us to be in relationship with himself, but also with others. So I God summarized the law as love God and love others. You can't be a Jesus follower by yourself. It doesn't happen. And we may like to think that it can, but that is just another story that the world tells us that we often believe, that myth of independence and individualism. As a Jesus follower... You have been born into the family of God and community is essential. As Paul writes more than once to the churches, we are the body of Christ and every one of you is a part of it. Christian community is essential because you become like the people you hang out with. And our community, the people that we choose to follow Jesus alongside and journey with help us in two really important ways through exposure and through encouragement. I have a set of fellow pilgrims on this journey, and they are called the Edge. If you don't know who the Edge are, they were everybody that was up here today. No kidding, it was mad when we realized that when we were praying for the service. And I know the Edge is a bit of a strange name for a home group, but it comes from the book of Proverbs. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And my home group are incredible. They see me at my best. They see me at my worst. They have carried me through the death of two parents, through my battle with anxiety, through burnout when I was teaching, through difficult decisions, through a whole host of things in between, parenting kids through exams. Um, I could go on and on. They have challenged me when I've needed it. They have encouraged me more than I think they will ever realize. I am supremely blessed by God to have them and other friends to journey with. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, he talks about the body of Christ. He puts it beautifully like this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
We, notice the community there, in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Or as the writer to Hebrews says, let us encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. So, we counter the stories we believe with the teaching we receive. We have um, the habits we form by the practice we cultivate and relationships with community. Lastly, all of this happens in the environment of the Holy Spirit. See, we need to remember that while we can try and put in place all these practices, and we can get all the teaching that we like, and we can plug ourselves into a community, without him in whom we live and move and have our being, without the Spirit of God, transformation is not going to happen. The source of transformation is always God. Robert Mulholland writes, There is nothing we can do to transform ourselves into person who love and serve as Jesus did, except make ourselves available for God to do the work of transforming grace in our lives. The way we make ourselves available to the gracious, transformative work of the Spirit is as we meditate and act upon Scripture, is as we cultivate practices that lead us in the way of Jesus, is as we engage in community that both encourages and challenges us. But the transformation itself, we need to remember, is totally the gift of the Spirit. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Finally, just before the band comes back up, I do need to clarify two, or say two more things. Firstly, when it comes to spiritual formation, it is important to remember it does not happen overnight. Very rarely does God zap somebody. I mean, it does happen occasionally, but very rarely does God zap someone and they're like totally a new person and suddenly everything is easy and we are just like Jesus. Formation, you need to remember, is more kind of slow cooker than microwave. It takes time. So don't be disappointed if you don't see results yet. You won't. And my gardens taught me this. I... um, Found gardening in lockdown. I've talked about it before. It is a beautiful blessing. God speaks to me lots through my garden, and he did this time too. Um, I have been looking out of my patio doors on, which in the summer was gorgeous, riot of colour. And at the moment, it and has been for the last few months, just dead, barren, decaying, grey. I mean, I've just lost all hope in my garden. Um, it's bleak. I just like, oh, my heart breaks. Yesterday, as I was preparing my sermon, I kind of needed a bit of a break. And um, I took a long, slow walk around my garden just to count basically how many dead plants I had. Um, and going, oh no, that's another one that bit the dust in the big frosts. And that's another one, oh no. Um, however, I saw this yesterday. You have no idea how much these pictures thrill me. Um, because it means change is on the way. Growth is happening. I've got snowdrops. I don't have daffodils. I don't have anything else I I planted in the autumn. But I've got snowdrops. And even better, on my hydrangeas that I thought were dead and gone, I've got buds. I've got new 
life, in the secret places, in the hidden places. Stuff has been happening I've not seen. And at last, it is beginning to show. And I think our hearts can be like this too. We put in place these these spiritual practices. We meditate on God's word and receive all the teaching that there is for us. We place ourselves in community. And for a long time, it can feel like nothing's changing. I'm still struggling with this sin. I'm still facing this situation. I am not as nice or kind or, or as I want to be. But God is working. The Spirit is working in the secret places. And then sometimes, even without our noticing, a bud appears, a flower. And we start to reflect the image of Christ a little more than we did before. And lastly... I want to stress that the goal of spiritual formation is not a better me. Like, that's a byproduct of it, that's great. But if you're just doing this to become a kind of better version of yourself, kind of project self help, as John Mark Homer puts it, that is not the goal. We want to have a heart like Jesus. We want to have hands, his hands, his feet to a world, not because we want to be more holy, but because we want to be that for others. Um, so they too can experience freedom. And I kind of thought, oh, I could just expand it. But actually, Robert Mulholland says it so much better than I do. So I apologize. I'm going to read from him. <clears throat> if there's any truth to the rest of the definition that we are formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others, particularly the aspect of being formed in the image of Christ, reflect for a moment on what the image of Christ is. It is the image of one who gave himself totally, completely, absolutely, unconditionally for others. This is the direction in which the Spirit of God moves us towards wholeness. And if we forget this, if we short-circuit our definition, we don't have Christian spiritual formation. What we have is some kind of pathological formation that is privatized and individualized, a spiritualized form of self-help. Although such forms of spirituality may be very appealing to look at on the outside, quite comfortable in their easy conformity to the values and dynamics of our culture, they are like a whitewashed tomb that has deadness on the inside if they are not life-giving, healing, and redemptive for others. And that's our heart as elders this year, that we would become more like him to have his heart, his hands, his feet, not so that we feel good, but so that others may see Jesus in us, may come to know Jesus themselves and to become part of the body of Christ. We become like him so that others can come to know him. I'm going to pray. Actually, before I pray, I just want you to take a moment, close your eyes. I want you to imagine what life could be like if you put something into place. Maybe there's a part of your life that is not honoring to God. Maybe you have believed a story that the world has told you. Maybe there is a habit that you have which you know leads you away from Jesus and not towards him. 
Maybe there is a relationship which you know you need to deal with and address because it's pulling you away from Jesus and not towards him. What could you do? What practice could you put in place that would help you to start to form your heart and your life towards Jesus? That the image of Christ may be more clearly seen in you. So that others may see the image of Christ and be drawn towards him. Father, I want to thank you this morning. That we may be slightly wobbly, slightly deformed pots of clay. Remember, we are formed from dust of the ground. But that you take these broken pots and you transform them into something beautiful. I want to thank you, Father, that you um, have put in place so many things to help us become more like yourself. You've given us your word. Oh, it's so beautiful. And we thank you for it. And we thank you for the way in which it counters with your truth, the lies that we believe. Help us to get into it, Father. Help us to learn to love it and feast upon it. Help us to begin to be transformed by it. Father, thank you that you have given us um, ways of acting and being and that help to... um, Lead us towards the way of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for the gift of fasting, for the gift of Sabbath, for the gift, all those spiritual disciplines that you have given us. I can counter the habits that we have formed through being in the world. Father, help us now. If we have a habit that needs to break, help us, Father, to find a practice that will counter it. Thank you, Father, for the gift of community, for this church, for the body of Christ, for the family of God that you've placed us into. Father, help us to invest in community, to get plugged in with other Christians who can encourage us and challenge us when needed, to spur one another on. And Father, thank you most of all for the gift of your spirit because we can't do this by ourselves. We cannot force ourselves into the image of Christ. It is only done through the gracious work of your spirit, working through your word, working through practice, working through relationships, but it comes from you. So we thank you, Father, for the gift of your spirit to each one of us. And I want to pray, Father, That as we lean into this year, as we seek to be a body of Christ that displays the heart of Jesus, that is the hands of Jesus and is the feet of Jesus out in this community, that you would help us 
as we try um, to become more like you. And all of these things, we do it not for ourselves, not to make ourselves feel good, but for your glory, for your name to be honored, and for your kingdom to be extended, for others to see the image of Christ. Because it's not us, but Christ who lives in us. That they might see Christ in us and come to know him for themselves. And we ask all of this in the name of our Savior. Amen.